Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 106, recorded December 20th, 2012. Christmas time. <laughs> jingle bells, jingle bells, yes, yes. So at the time of the recording, it is uh, five days till Christmas. Uh, when we post this, it will be 25 days after Christmas, so it's not we're not that far in the future. <laughs> the future. The future. Okay. All right, so uh, today we're doing the 90s uh, again, and we're do this is our 47th 90s episode, mm-hmm. which I'm I'm really enjoying. Yes, uh, we're doing Next Generation this week, and we have uh, issue 55, 56, and 57. Yes, right. So uh, the first one finishes off a uh, story that was not. It's not really a continuation that much of no. But it was kind of a story thread going throughout the last couple of issues where Data and uh, Captain Laveau are off doing their thing. So yeah, that, uh, yeah they had an interesting little overlap between uh, the previous story arc and the beginnings of the next story arc. Yeah, so this has been a B story that's been brewing for a while, but this issue definitely is the the main right. the main issue and kind of wraps that all up. So it we'll, we'll get into that here in a second. Exactly. So uh, I guess I'll just jump into that. This came out December of 1993 and is entitled The Good of the Many, a uh, phrase we've heard a time or two, don't you think? Yes, in many different, in many different stories. Yeah, basically since Star Trek II came out, this has been probably the most said phrase in Star Trek with the exception of engage. <laughs> Make it so. Oh, there you go. There you go. Anyways, it's, it's an often overused phrase, but... We'll get to hear it again in the 2012 movie. 13. Oops. Into the Darkness, I'm sure. Yes. All right. So the writer is Michael Jan Friedman. Artist is Daryl Skelton and Steve Carr. Letterer, Bob Panaha. Colorist, Rick Taylor. And editor is Alan Gold. The uh, cover starts us off with a picture of Data and Starfleet Captain slash Judge uh, Laveau. Uh, they're both standing within a ring of some angry orange-skinned aliens. Uh, these are bald fellers with a, a little bit of a cone head. Uh, the two have their hands completely encased in some uh, thimble-looking manacles. So they look like giant thimbles on their hands. And the caption reads, Data for the defense. So the s- story starts off with a great sound effect. Koosh! And that's the sound that is made when the shuttle pod Magellan crashes into an alien craft. And the alien craft is just completely disintegrated upon impact. But the Magellan looks like it holds up pretty well. Data is able to stay in his seat, but Laveau is thrown around the cabin. Data reports the grave news that all nine life forms aboard the alien craft have perished. Through their conversation, the duo reminds us of the events at the end of issue number 54. They were working on getting their engines recharged when an alien craft 
came out of nowhere heading straight at them on a collision course. Data informs her that another ship is heading their way as well, and this one is much larger. The new ship arrives and contacts the shuttle. The commander of the craft informs them that they are being arrested and brought on trial for the death of the nine Trevari citizens. The shuttle is in no condition to escape, so they relent and are brought aboard the larger craft. We flash back to the Enterprise. Dr. Crusher is recording a message to her son, who is still away at Starfleet. She is recounting the recent adventure with Q and the circus, and we covered it all in the last Next Generation episode that we did. On the Treveri homeworld, Data and Laveau discuss the legal system there. It seems that the legal system is based on the needs of the majority. So whichever side has the larger number of affected people is the side that will win in any dispute. Data says that the Treveri law would have required that they self-destruct the shuttle to save the lives of the nine since they only had two people aboard the shuttle. Even though the other ship was clearly in the wrong and crashed into them. Data also suggests that he should be the one that defends them in court. Laveau is hesitant at first, but she relents to his request. On the ship, Worf informs Jordy that he misses the O'Briens since their assignment to Deep Space Nine. Especially Keiko, because he misses her skill with the Klingon flowers. In the courtroom, Data is making his case. He points out that Laveau is of childbearing age, so the number of her possible ancestors must be counted and would be higher than the nine non-childbearing who died in the crash. When this fails, he points out that Laveau is a judge and that she influences millions of lives, whereas the traitors who died did not pay any type of tribute to their government. This also fails to impress the court. Back on the Enterprise, Picard and Riker are having their uh, manager review session. You know, Riker's getting evaluated. So Picard informs Riker of Captain Jellicoe's evaluation of Riker, and it is not flattering. Riker defends himself by saying that Jellicoe is a no-fun stick in the mud. Picard agrees, and all is good again. Back in the courtroom, Laveau makes a plea to the court. She points out that Data is a sentient being and the only one of his kind. She points out that his uniqueness would count more than the whole crew of the destroyed vessel. The judges agree with this, since if Data died, it would destroy a whole race of beings. He then finds the crew not guilty, and they are free to leave. As they are departing the courtroom, Laveau then goes on a tirade about how backward their laws are and how that they need to be on the same page as the rest of the galaxy. Back on the Enterprise, Picard is contacted by the USS Bradbury. They have recently received new orders, and they have requested that the Enterprise escort the, an ambassador to a conference. While the Bradbury's captain is still talking, the ambassador pushes her way onto the screen and says hello to the Enterprise crew. It is none other than Luxwana Troy herself. To be continued. Luxana, what the heck is she doing there? I don't know, but I like her. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, actually, it's a lot more lively a role uh, than Majel Barrett had when she was Nurse Chapel. She's able oh. to have a lot more fun with that role of well, Luxana. Yeah, completely different character. Well, of course. 
Well, yeah, but yeah, but I'm saying she's able to have a lot more fun with the character. Yeah, and you think Nurse Chapel had more fun than Number One? No. Robin, whatever her name is. I think I think they both had. Uh, <laughs> I think they both had less fun than uh, than Luxana, than the Luxana character. Yes, I think that with each role that that Michelle Barrett took, with the exception of just being the computer voice, <laughs> it became a more lively and interesting character because she's pretty stiff in that pilot, the cage. Yeah. Well, uh, didn't. Wasn't there some reference to her being like a human computer or something? Oh, something like that. Yes, yeah, supposed to be some sort of maybe genetically enhanced or genetically made well, type thing. But they didn't say that in the in the uh, no they in just the said show. They they implied something. They never went. In- they, they implied she was intelligent and unemotional, uh, and then they talked about cult being just the opposite kind of sort of. Right, 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 right. right. Anyway, whatever. But the expanded universe did the whole, and and the and the expanded book I'm thinking of was written by DC Fontania, mm-hmm. who wrote for the show. So yep, I think she might have been in the know. Although yeah. she didn't write that episode, so who knows? Yeah. Anyway, that's uh, not what we're talking about. We're talking about issue number fifty-five. Exactly, and I'm thinking um, in the opening scene of this issue when the. When the alien spacecraft, obviously an inferior alien spacecraft, smashes into the uh, shuttle, is like, oh my god, at the speeds they're traveling at, I mean, there's no way anything could be left from that. But quickly into the uh, book, as you're reading it, uh, the superior Federation technology shields is what saved the day. Because at first, when I was looking at it, it's like, there's no way anything's going to survive that but like little shards of metal. But, okay. Shields, handy yeah. things to have. And why would the other craft not have shields? They were that confident that this, well, alien craft would self-destruct. I don't know because uh, was it on autopilot? Well, no. Again, so if it was on autopilot, it would have probably had enough intelligence to get out of the way. It like it, it that part of it didn't make sense. No, it didn't. It was it just needed to happen, so it happened. Exactly. So you know maybe their technology is really backwards. So, you know, maybe they didn't have the ability to change course that quickly. I don't know, but whatever. Like you so said, anyways. Uh, it, ha- it had to happen, so it did. Right. So this, this uh, issue definitely felt, felt like a courtroom drama TV series. Definitely. And we've had a few courtroom drama episodes of the original series and, deep, and Next Generation, so it's not out of context. Yeah, and especially in the context of this one, since those characters, the captain, Laveau or whatever, and Data were very much in a courtroom episode, uh, but on, but both on opposite sides of the legal question right. previously, which is part of what they're doing in this comic. It's kind of playing off of that original Next Gen episode. So, Right. So overall, I enjoyed... I enjoyed it. I liked the arguments Data made. I liked the argument she made that ultimately got him off the hook. Um, the Really, the only complaint I have about the courtroom parts uh, that, of this was that end. They won the case. They're walking out, and then Laveau turns around and was like, oh, you guys are so backward, and y'all yeah. need to <laughs> get on the right... You know, y'all need to catch up with the times and uh-huh. I was just like they're not 
applying for Federation membership. So exactly, what are you talking about? They don't have to bow down to another culture's exactly you know, set of ideals. Yeah, I agree. In fact, I mean, really, um, if you take a look at our, our modern world, very much the Western doctrine is you know value of the individual. Um, where in the East, especially China. Um, they have more of a kind of way of looking at things uh, like, like, like this race, the Turvoys or whatever the heck they're called. Um, not as extreme, mind you. I mean, these guys are whacked. You know, we expect you to kill yourselves <laughs> if a larger number of people will die if you don't kill yourself. That's ridiculous. But, but even in our own world, there are differences between how much the value uh, how much value is placed on the individual as opposed to the larger society. Right. So, you know, I agree with you. A little bit of myopia? Yeah, I just thought it was odd, it, and it seemed a little preachy in a scenario that you shouldn't be preaching that. I mean, yeah. if they were applying for Federation citizenship or something like that, I mean, we've seen that in, in next-gen episodes where... You know they're wanting to be part of the federation, but they have this one little thing that's weird. Um, you know, and they have to get over it. Right. That's one thing. These people are their own sovereign nation. Nobody should be able to come in there and tell them they need to they need to do things our way. Right. Yep. Which is something that I find so interesting about the federation in general. It's like, I mean, these are alien races. <laughs> they can be any shape, sizes. Their ways could be so different from each other. It's like you'd really have to have a lot of ability to just accept other people's ways of doing things. And she's not very much like that. And she's the judge. She's yeah. the judge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what yeah, did you think whatever. about about Data's arguments and, and her argument that ultimately won? Did you like them? Because I did. I thought what I – I think – the biggest thing I like about this issue is not necessarily the story and everything, but I think the writer actually really kind of thought about all this stuff. Because, you know, when they were, when, uh, when Data was doing the briefing to uh, the captain and telling her about uh, this society and how it came to be, I mean, it was a little civics lesson, which, you know, if somebody said, oh, we're going to do a little civics lesson in the middle of a Star Trek comic book, I'd probably say, oh, yawn. But I thought it was kind of interesting. And then later, and later when they started actually trying to make arguments, again, I think they were pretty interesting arguments. Although the one thing about her being a judge and can affect so many lives, eh, I wasn't thinking that was the, the best thing in the world. I thought she, you know, maybe more to go by with biology, you know, birthing kids or something. But right. um, yeah, uh, I thought that was great. And then you know, the final argument that won the day. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's pretty cool. I like it. I, th- yeah. I, 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 th- I think the writer thought about things. <laughs> he didn't just go off a cookie cutter, uh, or she. I, I don't remember who wrote it, but... Uh, oh, Daryl uh, Daryl Skelton and Steve Carr. Okay. I think they really thought about this. So, well, that's pretty cool. The writer was Michael Jan Friedman. You just oh, I'm read sorry. I mixed up the artists. My right. mistake. Yeah. So, yeah, Friedman... Yeah, it wasn't just a cookie cutter story, right? And I actually like the judge argument because I had a hard time with the childbearing argument because all nine of them were what incredibly old, and you know, yeah, yeah were they, 
you know, barren females, or were they? <laughs> I mean, it just seemed odd that all nine of them would be past childbearing age. Yeah. So that was that was my only uh, questionable part of that argument. But the judge thing I thought was actually pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, just talking about the influence of the person, the in, you okay, know, but... they influence millions of lives versus the traders who just you know looked out for themselves. Anyways. Regardless, I enjoyed it. And it sounds like yeah. you, you liked that part as well. Yes, I did. Now, what about the filler pages? Well, I thought the whole part about Worf missing Keiko's botanical skills, I thought it was all rather contrived. I mean, here's Big Rough Tough, you know, Klingon warrior, and he's concerned about Klingon flowers. I just thought that was kind of like, eh. Exactly. I, I was rolling my eyes, because... And then I was trying to think, is he just saying that because he really misses them, you know, because they were his friends and he's just trying to make light of it? Or is he really saying that he only misses her botanical skills? Yeah, it seems kind of rude. Right. <laughs> Doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, so I was trying to think, you know, I'm going to give him benefit of a doubt that he truly misses them because he was friends, but he can't admit it. So he right. has to have some other reason. Yeah, that's it. Worf isn't a jerk. But then the... Uh, the the letter to Wesley. Uh, oh, that would that that seemed like an unneeded need... flashback. Oh, completely. That didn't help the story at all. It reminded you of what happened in the last at last issues, which had nothing to do with this B story. You know, right. when it was the B story in the previous ones, it, that was total filler. Yeah, and then the you know here's Jellico's review on you, and then hmm. you know he he lists all these things that Jellico had true problems with. Riker on, and then Riker's, you know, I made light of it in the, in the synopsis, but basically Riker's like, well, he's a stick in the mud, you know, and have no fun with him, and then Picard's <laughs> like, huh, you're right. I think he also had some some good points about the fact that not only is he uh, the stick in the mud, but basically he he is the ultimate horrible manager that you never want because he's always looking over your shoulder and and always quick to criticize and you know basically keeps everybody. You know, there's got to be a balance, or else, uh, you know, are you really going to enjoy what you're doing, or you know, really perform to your best if you're always on pins and needles because of the jerk captain? I don't. Right. Mm. I, I agree with you. I'm not arguing with your point, but it yeah. just, it 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 was three pages, and it yeah. seemed kind of unneeded because it yep. didn't really, you know, go well, anywhere. It, it had nothing to do with anything. Yep. I mean, it, it it had nothing to do with the data and uh, Laveau, uh story. Nothing. It was almost like it was stuck in there because, hey, I watched that episode too, and here's <sighs> a here's a here's a follow up to that episode that you watched, yeah. Chain of Command. Yeah. Wasn't that the episode? Uh, uh, I don't know for sure. Could have been. Anyways, so basically, out of the twenty four pages, five six pages was just filler. Yeah. And, and the rest was the courtroom thing, which I thought was really good. Yeah. Um. Uh, what do you think of the art? Uh, at, at most, mostly I enjoyed it. Um, Did you? There was a few shots of Data uh, that I thought looked a little weird, and then a lot of times people's noses just seemed to disappear altogether, which was also a little <coughs> weird. What about you? Well, as far as the noses disappearing, um, I wasn't crazy about most of the artwork. Uh, I thought the original collision between the alien craft and the shuttle, I liked that. That was pretty cool, but. A lot of the artwork I found to be kind of low, if you know what I mean, but when I say low res, 
It just a lot of times it doesn't have a lot of detail, and also some of the things look kind of washed out. That's why people's noses kind of go away in some right. of these. Um, you know, some of the some of the things are are almost seem washed out and colorless or at least light color. Um, the, the, there's this Marilyn Monroe, Andy Warhol uh, artwork, and and she's kind of all kind of washed out a little bit too. It just kind of reminded me in parts like a like an Andy Warhol uh, drawing or something. Hmm. Um, and uh, and I wasn't crazy. I, I'm not, I wasn't overly crazy about it. Let me right. just say that. Yeah, I, 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 it wasn't my favorite, but it didn't detract me from the story. I don't think. No, no, no. Uh, I do think that there are some shots of data, you know, with shadowing and stuff that I think look pretty good. Like they took some time with it. Oh, really? Yeah, like on page seven. There's like a shot from underneath. Oh, that was one of the ones I didn't on like. Face. Oh, you didn't like that? Okay. Uh-uh. No. That's one of the few ones I liked. <laughs> I didn't like the way they're doing the shading with the little dots. Oh, oh. And they do that a lot in this issue. Yeah. So you did like okay. that? Yeah, I did. That's one of the few parts I did like. <laughs> okay. Fair yeah. enough. It just goes to show. Different strokes. And uh, and the depictions of the uh, Coneheads? I liked it. I just wish they all didn't look the same. Oh. They all look male, for one, so they never show what a female might look like. And How do you know? Well, I, they all look the same. <laughs> <laughs> so if there well, are females yeah. there, they must look exactly like the males. Probably. But anyways, uh, it didn't bother me. Yeah, you? Yeah, they're okay. I don't know. I, I think their color was distracting. I mean, they look like Crayolas. You know, fresh <laughs> out of the block. You know, fresh out of the box. Crayolas. And, you know. Well, okay. Maybe not fresh out of the box. Because it's kind of like like very flat top. But after you've used it a little while, yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, I could see that, yeah. <laughs> Especially with the, 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 the color they chose on a lot, of, a lot of them. And, by the way, the shade does change the, uh, of color does change as the comic goes on. Well, I think there's, yeah, different... It seems like different individuals are different shades of orange. Well, right. Yeah, I'll agree. But the the, the, the presider of the... Uh, you know, the, main, the guy in the middle? There's yeah. like three... It looks like a tribunal kind of thing, I guess. The guy in the middle is clearly talking on page 19, and then when right. you go down to page 20, which is pretty close... Right. And I thought it was the same guy, but maybe not. Maybe it is a different guy talking. Yeah, that could be it. You could be right. Yeah, I think it's just one of the other ones. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's possible. But, but you're right. It, it, if it is the same one, it doesn't make sense why he's a little lighter in that next that next page. Right. But then on page 20, bottom of page 20, two of the tribunal guys, like there's a side shot where they're both in picture, and they're clearly two different colors, that, you know, two different individuals. So. Yeah. Right, and if you look at page 21, you can see that the the guy in the middle is, is a lighter orange than the guys on the two sides. Right. Assuming yeah. that there's only three there. Uh, I mean, there maybe there's more and we just don't see them, but it, I think there's only three. Yeah, I think on page 19 they, sh- they have a panel that shows probably, you know, pretty broad enough view that you right. can see who's up there, and there's three of them. Where Data's on the little floating steps. I thought that was actually kind of cool. Yeah, that is kind of interesting, isn't it? So, you know, they've got some tech here. Yeah, and they're not, you know. I mean, they have warp drive, so they're not that backward. Did they say warp drive? Yeah, I guess. 
Well, that that ship that crashed into him, I think, was going at warp drive. Oh, but you're kidding me. I think it was in the last issue. Okay, and it could have been. It could have been. It's just, come on. Even if you got shields, if you're driving, are you flying at that kind of velocity and hit a stationary object? I don't know. Well, let's just Uh, put it this. I mean, you're flying in space. You crashing into anything is that you know something that small. It's pretty. I find that hard to believe that you would crash right into it. Yeah. Unless you were going, aiming right at it. Unless you were aiming, exactly. I agree with that. I agree with that. Okay, the last thing I just wanted to say is, uh, it's interesting how they keep on drilling into the the, the point here about how wrong Captain uh, Laveau was in the original episode. Where, uh, you know, she was... She was uh, pressing the point about Data being a robot, a machine, not an individual. And again, at the end of this, they're hammering home, not only is he an, an individual, but he's like representative of a race unto himself, which, you know... Is, is not true? Well, yeah. Uh, I, guess, lore. I guess nobody told her about Lore. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But, or his mom, because I think that episode with his, his, his mom, mom and our, or, yeah. Oh, the mom was it? Who's remember Data's uh, mom? Yeah. Soon, well, Soong's wife died, and he made an android that has oh. all the memories of his wife, but she doesn't know she's an oh. android. I remember feel embarrassed. Episode? I don't remember that episode. Wow. Oh, okay. It's a great. It's one of the best seven season episodes. I, I I really liked it. I thought it was great. Wow. Okay. I'll hmm. have to go back and refresh myself of that one. Yeah, you do. But yeah, I see what you're saying about them, you know, her really apologizing all the time and, yeah. and going out of her way to prove that she was wrong. Yeah. And yeah, because she has that line, this must be what da- what Picard felt like when he was on, well, that was when he was being court-martialed. She says, this must be what Picard felt like when he was being court-martialed, knowing that he was innocent, but just trying to prove it. Yep. yep. Yeah. Anyways, any more on that that topic? That's it. I'd say. My last comment is about the, the vessel that the uh, they contact. It says it's a Federation vessel, the Bradbury. Yes. You don't see it, so you don't know if it's the USS Bradbury or some other type of craft. But I'm assuming since it's a Federation ship that it would be part of Starfleet, right? You would think so. Maybe. So the captain is not wearing a Federation uniform, though. He's yes. wearing some sort of purple cloak thing with a, a golden brooch type yep necklace yep that is clearly not a starfleet uniform in any right. way shape or form right so so i don't know if he's supposed to be starfleet or just some sort of ambassador vessel civilian yeah. vessel but since he's getting called on some other type of you know starfleet has ordered him to go do something and and the enterprise to take the ambassador on to the rest of her trip makes right. me think that it's a starfleet vessel but who knows? Yeah, he does not look like Starfleet from his outfit. And his his race is kind of interesting because he's a little porcupine-ish looking head. <laughs> green with little horns, I guess, all over yep. his face and head. Yeah, so his chin and jowls has like maybe five or so different like spikes coming out. And then his head has, yeah, I don't know, like like maybe... Ten of them coming out of his head. Very, very odd. Yeah, it looks like an old Bugs Bunny cartoon when, 
when Elmer Fudd got just beat on the head with a club <laughs> or something and all those lumps and popped the, out. Exactly. <laughs> like, like in seconds, right? That's what he looks like. That's right. All right. That was my last comment. Well, if we're going to move on, the next issue is number 56, and it is titled Companionship. Writer again is Michael Jan Friedman. Artist this time is just Daryl Skelton. Colorist Rick Taylor. Letterer Bob Adaha. And editors Alan Gold and Margaret Clark. Troy, Worf, and Dr. Salar's heads are at the top of the cover in uh, black and white, as if they are made out of vapor that is rising from the white uh, lighting that's originating from uh, the bottom of the cover, uh, where we see uh, Alexander, Luxana Troy, and Jordy uh, on the bottom. Uh, so, not quite sure what's going on here, looking at the cover, but a um, little, little weird. Uh, at the very bottom the wor- are the words, Divided Light. Okay, so what's all this about? The story opens in a room where Deanna Troy is walking away from her mother, Luxana, while she blathers on about the latest man in her life, who is, of course, totally devoted to her. It turns out that she's talking about Constable Odo, who she met on a visit to Deep Space Nine. Deanna calls her mother on her description of Odo as malleable, which Deanna rightly calls into question. Lexana says something about digging deep and finishes uh, the Odo discussion, calling Odo the bucket at the end of the rainbow. Well, as I recall, Odo has a bucket and he sleeps in it. Uh, Is that what she means? Anyway. Deanna changes the subject by asking her mother about her current diplomatic mission. She says an existing Federation member world called Sakarion is sponsoring overtures to the planet Aregius and trying to join the Federation. That would end Aregius's centuries-old policy of isolationism. The idea of Aregius joining the Federation is important given their proximity to the Cardassian Empire. It's Luxana's job at the upcoming diplomatic conference to make sure that the Aregius folks like what they see and join the Federation. They go on to discuss the Aregians' triumvirate form of government that has been rumored to employ tyranny and cold-blooded cruelty to hold on to power. Deanna moves beyond that discussion of potentially dealing with tyrants to the more important topic, Lexana's likely disruptive effect on the Enterprise now that she has unexpectedly arrived. Lexana tells Deanna not to worry since she has mellowed and will be the best-behaved little diplomat that has ever stepped aboard the Enterprise. Meanwhile at the shooting range, Picard and Riker are discussing their unexpected diplomatic mission to Aregius while honing their aim. In addition to getting Luxana to the diplomatic conference, they are also to send a contingent of officers to accompany her. They are to display as open and friendly an image as possible to the Aregians. In sickbay, Dr. Crusher is asking Dr. Salar to join the group that's going down to attend the diplomatic conference. Though at first Salar seems a bit aloof to the idea, she does agree and says it will be a rare opportunity to observe such an insular society. Elsewhere on the holodeck, Alexander is walking among dinosaurs hand-in-hand with Snow White. 
Of course, Snow White turns out to be Luxana Troy, who is doing her best anti-mame impression. She created a program that would read Alexander's own desires and instantaneously turn it into a program complete with accurate Jurassic Park creatures. Even with this child's Eden to play in, Alexander is still unhappy with being marginalized on the ship. Just because he's a kid, he misses all the interesting things that go on aboard the ship. He wants to go to the diplomatic conference. Luxana says she will see what she can do. Later in Picard's ready room, Luxana is asking Picard if not only Alexander can go to the conference, but also some of his classmates. Expecting a fight, she is surprised when Picard says yes. The children can go, uh, but they only get to stay for the opening speeches, and then they return to the ship. In fact, he says he's going to send Mr. Worf and a security detail to chaperone the children. Luxana leaves the room quite happy. Later, the Enterprise arrives at the third moon of Sakarion, the site of the diplomatic conference. Luxana, Worf, and the children beam down and drink in the impressive diplomatic facilities. The children pass impressive statues that celebrate the agricultural achievements of the Sakarianites. A group of Agrigians pass by the children. The kids comment on how tall and thin the Agrigians are and say they look sickly. Dr. Crusher and Dr. Salar also spot the Agrigians and make a similar assessment of them. Though not knowing their exact physiology, they are not sure that that is their normal condition. However, they're pretty sure that they don't look healthy. Dr. Crusher is wondering if they come out of their isolationism to ask for aid. Suddenly the lights go out and Worf begins to call for an emergency beam out. Before he can complete the request, he and his two security men are shot. When the lights come on, six members of the Enterprise contingent are gone. Alexander, Geordi, Deanna, Salar, Ambassador Troy, and Worf. Dr. Crusher informs the captain. Riker preps to beam down to conduct an investigation. Elsewhere, the body of Alexander, Geordi, and Luxana Troy wake up tied to a heavy-looking white slabs, all in the same large room. They slowly discover that two conscious minds share each body. Deanna is in Alexander's body, but seems at the moment to be the dominant mind. Dr. Salar is in Geordi's body, where she is the dominant mind. Worf unfortunately finds himself in Luxana Troy's body, much to his chagrin. Meanwhile, in the Enterprise, representatives of the Sakaranites are meeting with Picard and his senior staff. The Sakaranites say the weapons used in the attack and abduction were of Aregean manufacture. They leave unique blast points, and due to their inferior technology, few other species use them. They suggest that if Aregean weapons were used, then it's probably the Aregeans who did the kidnapping. The Sakaranites say they are ready to offer a motivation behind the abductions, but it will not be easy to believe. Back on the slabs, Deanna slash Alexander discover the manacles that hold them to the slabs are, were not made to hold kids. Slowly, 
she-he begins to work the manacles off the small arms and legs. Once he-she is free, he's able to free the others. When they attempt to escape the room, they run into three Eregian armed guards who foiled their escape. To be continued. Little Freaky Friday stuff going on there. Exactly! Freaky Friday. As opposed to Face Off. This is not Face Off. This is Freaky <laughs> Friday. Friday. Well, technically it's not even Freaky Friday since the uh, the uh, they're both in the same body. True. That is a spin. I have... Yeah. That is a spin. But, uh, oh, I, I don't know. I didn't really... Not, I'm not buying the, uh, the body-sharing story part. Well, every time you see something like this done, which, by the way, seems to happen all the time in Star Trek, uh, especially that Emmy Award-winning episode where Kirk swaps bodies with a, uh, a lady. Yes, one of the greatest episodes of all time. I believe so. And, uh, uh, and William Shatner getting that Emmy was uh, well-deserved, I must say. <laughs> unfortunately, that was the last episode of Star Trek, the original series. So it, <laughs> it was, was such, not such a good. horrible way to end the series. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. Because so, so sec- that episode is just so sexist. Yeah, you know, it is. She, she wanted to get into his body because women can't be captains and things like that. And you're just like, really? It seems kind of odd. Yeah. Anyways, but we're talking about this episode. Yeah, and let's continue on. Yeah, so um, yeah, so we've got multiple bodies, multiple people in the same physical body, and uh, and like what 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 possible motivation was was there for the Eregians to do this? It seems weird. It does, and we'll get a little bit of an explanation next week, right? Or next up issue. We'll, we'll we'll get a big explanation next issue. But I remember at the end of this issue, I was thinking, why would they? What? What? Why are they doing this? It's like okay. I'm still saying that at the end of next issue, but we'll talk about that next issue. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But no, I, I'm with you. It, it seems seems like a, a lot of work for what you're going to get out of it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this wasn't one of the most fantastic uh, issues in the world, but eh, it, it started off good. I thought I loved, 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 loved the Odo uh, Odo thing. Yeah, because I mean, you're familiar with the episode she's alluding to, right? There was yes. the episode where they're stuck in an elevator, and he ends up having to revert to his liquid form, and she has him in her dress. She just lets him. Right, revert, and she's just like, "It's all right, Odo. Just, just let it go." And then he just turns into a puddle, and she just holds him and cares for him. Right, I love that episode. It, it, to me, that's that's the best. The D Space Nine version of Luxwana Troy. I mean, she's grown up. She acts more mature. She has that relationship with Odo. I, I just every time she was on D Space Nine, I loved it. Yeah, and and she had that watertight dress. It was great. I don't think he's literally water. I but... know. I know. <laughs> he's kind of globby, right? He's kind of like, uh, what, that slime stuff they used to have? Like Gak or whatever. Gak? Is that what it's called? Oh, uh, wait, Gak. I don't know. Is it, isn't that like Klingon food oh, that isn't gawk. dead yet? It's Gak. Okay, well, close. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
But anyways, I when I read this part, this these first four pages, I was just like, oh, this is fantastic. Uh huh. Yeah, know, it was it was pretty good. Yeah. yeah. And then then even her interaction with Alexander, I liked. I didn't catch that. I mean, she says she's programming the holodeck. Not not that it's it's just reading her mind, his mind. Oh, it's her re- reading his mind and instantaneously transferring that into this complex. Uh... I don't think it's instantaneously. I think she read his mind and then before and then yeah and then program yeah. this based on what he was thinking. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that it's a little odd in between page six and seven. It just seems that that there's a part of a conversation that's missing because on page se- six she says to him. Um, you know, she's talking about the dinosaurs being even older than she is, or even older than some of her rivals on Beta Z. Uh-huh. That's the last comment on page six. The first comment on page seven was, "Really, Alexander? How can you think about a silly diplomatic conference?" So, did he think it, and she read his mind? Because yes, there was no little thought balloon that let us know what he was thinking. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah, it just seemed odd. I had to go back and check read to see that yeah. page or two. <laughs> Yeah, I think she's doing her telepath thing. And by the way, you know, I don't know, I don't know whether it's the dress or not, but she looks like she's 25 years old all of a sudden. In the Snow White outfit? In up? the Snow White outfit. <laughs> I mean, well, uh, particularly on page 7. Like like that upper left-hand um, panel where she's doing, you know, she's saying exactly what you just said. Really, Alexander, how can you think about that conference? I mean, she doesn't even look like Troy. I mean, she just looks like some some actress that played, uh, you know, Snow White. Uh, Snow White in the, you know in in the cartoon, I guess, but whatever. <laughs> she, I, I, I was just thinking about how ridiculous what I was saying in my head as I was getting ready to say it, but I said it anyway. <laughs> I get what you're saying, though. Yeah, no, she, uh, she, yeah. She looks younger there, but she looks younger. And she doesn't look like Major Barrett, but yeah, I, I mean, so, some. Some panels she does, like like the first time you see a full facial thing, you can kind of say, okay, that, that, that's Majel Barrett, only a lot younger. Fine. But then as it keeps going, it's like, that doesn't even look like Majel Barrett, and she looks like a 25-year-old actress. Anyway, And again, with this one, I think there's a lot of, I think there's like a, like a lot of washed out stuff going on, and like low res kind of stuff going on, you know, not a huge, I'm not a huge fan of the artwork. Right, I can see that. I can see that argument. So, uh, doesn't the uh, Regians don't they kind of look like characters out of Star Wars? I uh, mean, I thought... with, with the big old long nose and stuff. I mean, wasn't that like like some spy guy? Yeah, there's a spy guy in um, in Episode Four. Right. Uh, name starts with a G. I forgot what it is. Oh, you're good. You're good. But uh, the the face looks a little bit like that. You know, really yeah. ext- almost anteater kind of look. Yeah, that's what I was going for. He looked just like an anteater. Right, right. These did. No, the guy yeah. from Star Wars. Even Greedo from Star Wars kind of had that long snout, but it didn't right. quite look like this. Yeah. Now, even their their eyes, the way their eyes are set and the way their noses and snouts are, they look just like aardvarks. Yeah. All right, so the lights go off. Six people get kidnapped mysteriously in the dark. I mean, first, everybody gets stunned, which which I thought was was kind of abrupt and a little violent. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that part where those uh, security guards went down, that was pretty violent. But, uh, yeah. 
Everybody's getting shot. Everybody. That shot where Worf takes it and falls is pretty. Yeah, I do like that artwork. <laughs> I mean, that, that looks like it was painful. And then his his phasers flying up towards the camera. That's right. actually a pretty cool little shot. Yeah. But uh, I hope that they explain why they chose a mother daughter pairing and a father son pairing, and then just the random Vulcan and random blind guy. I mean, it seemed like the other four kind of had some sort of relationship, so maybe that there was a reason why they were chosen, but the Vulcan and the and the blind guy seemed not to fit that pattern. Well, okay, so you're saying the pattern is the two the two children, so or quote well, no, children. Yeah, so right. Deanna is in Alexander's body. So you're saying because they're both the the children. Well, I was wondering if maybe there was some sort of genetic trait that both both of the Troys and both of the Klingons had that made them susceptible to or an ideal candidate for this brain swapping thing. Oh, why they were chosen, period. Not specifically right. who they were in. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, right. Because yeah. otherwise, why did they choose a little kid at all? Well, when there was lots of other adults. Yeah. And there was lots I, of I other think, little kids. Yeah, I think the hosts were like, maybe that was just like whatever. Uh, but as far as, I mean, the, the hosts for their friends. But the bodies they chose to use, uh, the regions, made sense. Uh, Worf. Biggest, clearest, clearly the, the, the most strong person within the, the whole thing. A Vulcan, again, very strong, you know, long-lived, li- long good choice. If you're going to take a body over, why not? And then Deanna, well, she's kind of hot. So, okay. Oh, so you're saying out of the six people they did chose, you could understand why they emptied out those three particular people. That is my point. Yes. Yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that. I just don't understand why they chose Alexander to put the two two minds in. Yeah, Alexander has Deanna in him. And yeah, why they chose him to take Deanna's brain, I have no idea. Other than that, he's a regular on the show, and <laughs> none of the other little kids were. <laughs> yeah, well, why use a kid at all? I mean, <laughs> but... And, well, we'll get into it next next issue, but I think that if I was one of these other people, I would want to go into a little kid. Because you're going to have oh. a longer lifespan. <laughs> right. But if you're a Vulcan, Vulcans live a long time. Yeah, and obviously Klingons do too, since they some of the original series oh, right. popped up on Next Gen quite often. Yeah, good point. But we'll talk about that later. We're kind of spoiling a little bit. Yeah. We're uh, I, Okay, the last thing I have to say about this one is I like how they at least made an attempt to show how Geordi sees the world. Yes, that was actually pretty cool. Yeah, that was... When I first saw that, it was like... Oh, that's how Jordy sees things. Oh, that's cool. Right, and I liked it that it was Doctor Salar was seeing it through Jordy's eyes and not really getting it. Oh, right, exactly, right. So I thought she's Salar at first, right? When right. I first wake up. So she's trying to figure out why why the world looks so different. Right. Yeah, I thought that was that was actually pretty good. Now I thought Jordy had to go through a lot to learn how to use the visor. I also thought there was a lot of pain involved. Right, but I mean, but his, but his, there's not two brains in there. It's one brain, so oh, yeah. um, his but, brain's already set up for all those different impulses. So I think that oh well, his brain, brain would is. already be conditioned to oh, accept, uh, accept okay. that stimuli. Okay, yeah. I, I'm reaching, dude, because I mean, we're talking about a different brain being inside of another brain. It, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Good point. You can't put somebody's 
thoughts into another brain and then that original brain still being there and and coming in and out switching off that what, isn't, that's wait not a how. minute what, don't don't burst my bubble here <laughs> okay it's not the incredible hulk at least oh. the incredible hulk his brain actually changed while he grew, grew bigger and grew smaller yeah <laughs> i'm buying it anyways yeah well I, i'm buying that that's the reason why she didn't have problems with the visor ah all right. Anything else? Because that was my last comment as well. Nothing else. Let's let's get to the uh, thrill-packed conclusion. All right. So issue 57 came out February of 1994. So all the writing staff is the same. Uh, I will note that you know, like like you said last issue, this is Margaret Clark's introduction as editor. So Alan Gold is being phased out, and she'll take over. Hmm. So this is her. Well, they've second. tried that before. <laughs> Have yeah, the, yeah, the 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 uh, the Star Trek books seem to go through editors pretty fast, for some reason. Except Alan keeps coming back. Oh, that's right. Yeah. All right. Well, anyways, this issue is entitled "Of Two Minds," also known as "Freaky Star Trek Friday." <laughs> so the cover starts off with uh, Jordy, Luxwana, and Alexander. Uh, they're shown battling green-skinned Ardvarkian aliens. And the caption reads, Alien Minds. So the story actually starts off with the newly freed trio of Luxwana, Jordy, and Alexander, who still have the minds of Worf, Seller, and Troy. Uh, they're confronted with several of the green-skinned Irrigans. Worf takes over Luxwana's mind and attacks. He, she is stunned and when that happens, the other two spring into action and take down the aliens. Jordy seems to be Salar at this time and may or may not have done a Vulcan neck pinch. Uh, I'm not quite sure. Back on the Enterprise, the Sakarians are explaining to Picard and the rest of the crew about the Irrigan's power to switch minds and bodies. He says that the missing six crew members have probably been switched around to provide bodies to three of their ancient leaders. They can reverse this process, but it must be quick, since the longer a person is out of their body, the more risky it is to go back in. Back on the planet, more aliens have arrived, and the bodies of Jordy and Alexander are taking out most of them, but it looks grim. They're, they're starting to lose. Alexander is held at gunpoint, or phaser point, with the phaser placed at his temple. Just as Geordi drops his weapon, the alien holding Alexander is blasted by the newly awakened Luxana slash Worf. The Luxana part of her is not pleased that she's been forced to partake in a brawl. The trio, or Sixted, or whatever you want to call them, uh, have found a hidden door that leads to a huge command center. They hide behind some crates and get the lay of the land. Jordy notices some transporter pads, if only they could get to them unseen. Back on the ship, Picard has contacted the Irrigan leaders. They say that they know nothing about the six missing crew members. They forbid Picard to access any of their holy sites, so they're not able to scan the whole planet. There's, there's a few spots that are forbidden. Even when Picard asks nicely, they still refuse, and they hang up on him. 
Riker is then tasked to beam down and sneak into one of the holy sites to try to find the missing crew. Back on the planet, Luxana tries her telepathic powers to keep a guard from seeing them. She cannot do it. Jordy is able to switch to his Solar mind, and she is able to touch the alien and mind meld enough to keep him quiet as they slip by. The group then try the same trick that got them caught. They cut the power to the lights. While the aliens are blind in the dark, Jordy is able to guide the group to the transporter pad. A few of the aliens are taken out during this process, so there is a, a short little firefight. But Jordy is able to get the transporters up, and they beam the three of them back to the ship. The three or six or however many people are really in those bodies are sent to the captain's conference room and they're debriefed by the captain, Dr. Crusher, Data, and Riker. They talk about the need to get back into their actual bodies. And then to emphasize the importance of this, the Alexander slash Troy body starts to writhe in pain. And Troy's, Troy's now in control. And she says, too much pain. It's a result of being separated from my body too long. The stakes have just increased to be continued. So not much of an explanation, just uh, that they, these old leaders needed some bodies to go into. Yep. So I can understand why they scooped the bodies, the mind out of the one body. I don't understand why they felt that they needed to put that mind into another body. Wow. Yeah, and, and Picard, they explained it. It's just, you know, it just seems like it's uh, forced. They have such a reverence for life. I must have missed that part because uh, yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really understand why. And then, but then they're going to keep them at phaser point and shackled down for the rest of their lives. That isn't. Yeah. that's not much of a life. No, it isn't. But I mean, they, the with Shakirites or whatever their the other race was. Yeah, they had explained, and it just seems so forced. Uh, oh, yes, because they love life so much, reverence for life, whatever. <laughs> they would uh, ha- they would put the, uh, the displaced minds into the bodies of relatives or something. Right. So anyways, the whole mind to a, some sort of other receptacle thing was very... Vulcan-esque, Katra-type thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm I'm able to buy that part, um, but I'm I'm having a hard time with taking the mind out of one person and putting it into another person, and then that new person that has the two minds that you can't have them both going on at the same time. So you're either Jordy or you're either Salar. Right. But if you're Salar, you can still do the nerve pinch, the mind <laughs> meld. You're, you're not hindered in any way. Yeah. Even though Jordy's body shouldn't be able to do that kind of stuff. Well, he certainly shouldn't be able to do... Okay, so the neck pinch, aren't you supposed to have Vulcan strength to be able to make it work? I always thought that it had something to do with the, the telepathy, too. Oh, so, telepathy? Oh. Yeah, because they're touch telepaths. So well, I always, okay. I always thought oh, that oh. that was part of it. Oh, okay. So you're switching to the telepathy part. Okay. Okay, telepathy, no, right. No, I'm talking about the, the the nerve pinch I always thought was a combination of telepathy and strength. 
Okay. Even though Data is able to do it in that one well, episode. But aside exactly. from that, nobody that's else why, is ever That's why I thought I, – I don't recall ever hearing that it had anything to do with telepathy. But it had more to do with knowledge of knowing where to pinch like just about every race right. and the Vulcan strength being able to actually do it. Uh, you, you might be right. I think, I think I've seen it explained both ways. I always liked the idea that it was a combination of strength and their um, – Telepathic, thing. telepathic powers to kind of give them a little jolt to knock them out. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I especially like when uh, when McCoy tries to do the neck pinch thing. What, what, was that in uh, Search for Spock or something? Yeah, that was in Search for Spock, right. That well, was great. Well, there you go. It didn't work. Well, no, because cause McCoy isn't strong enough. Either is Jordy. I, I agree. <laughs> but he does it anyway. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I, I, and you'll notice, and I did not notice this the first time, but Jordy's actually doing the Vulcan neck, uh, nerve pinch on the cover on during the, the fight cover? on the cover. Wow, I missed it. Well, I did too until you were, do, you know, you're doing the synopsis, and I'm just listening. I'm kind of staring at the cover. It's like, oh, Jordy's doing the neck pinch. Okay. Oh, is that what he's supposed to be doing to that with his with his left hand? Yeah. So his left hand is on the shoulder of one of the Ardvark guys. And you can see the Aardvark guy's head is going back and his eyes are shutting. Hmm. Yeah, so, I guess you're right. And then he's getting ready to do it to the next guy with his right hand. All right. I'll I'll agree with you. I didn't catch that when I looked at it, but... Well, do you... Okay. I see it now, because why else would that one guy's head be lulled back exactly. like that? Exactly. That, yeah, other than that, it could have been just Jordy trying to push the guy out of the way and grabbing for the other guy. But uh, the one Aardvark guy's head going back like that. Looks like he's falling asleep. <laughs> Let me give you a little nap there, Aardvark guy. So anyways, I don't like that, that he's able to do her powers. I could understand why Troy, you know, it'd be like Troy being able to do her empathy powers in Alexander's body. Right. Yeah, because Which... that does really does seem something far beyond... Uh... Yeah, that that's not personality. That's there's something physical there in Deanna that allows her to do that. Right. Agreed. Although I must say, Luxana's pretty good at kicking butt with Worf in her. Yep. I, and I especially love I just love the part where uh <laughs> Luxana Worf is saying in Luxana's body, uh, as he's as he's beating the crap out of these guys, uh yeah, he says constantly to the guards that they bit off more than you could chew ha ha you know in uh, Luxana's body I think that was funny yeah that's there on page uh, two with her head pulled back what? like that yeah right exactly she's got the uh, the kind of ha 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 <laughs> kind of look to her face and the veins are all sticking out in her neck yes that's great <laughs> because obviously <laughs> I don't think betas, betazoids are particularly strong people yeah, and then I like how in the very next frame she gets stunned, so it's like... <laughs> yeah, that one, that too. Yeah, I like it. That's good. Ultimately, nothing gets resolved. This is a, this is a continuation, and it's going to true, continue true, to be true. continued. Yeah, and I think I had said something about it being uh, the conclusion, and it isn't. Right. We're going to stretch this out to another issue. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I have anything else to say, tell you the truth. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 only, I only had a few comments, <laughs> you know. Art week, artwork is more more of the same as the last couple issues. Um, right. 
the faults I think those had, had are also here. Yep. Uh, although I will say I do like was it the, uh, the 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 other race, the Sh- Shraktarians. What what are they, what's their name again? The the guys are oh, Sakarianites. I do kind of like their artwork. In some, like a, from a profile, they almost look like they're kind of like turtle guys, tortoise guys. Right. Yep. Um, and then there's some other shots where you know uh, some of these you see them straight on uh, in in Picard's uh, conference room, in in some of the right. Enterprise chairs, and I yeah I just kind of like it. I, I think it's an interesting looking alien. I agree. Uh, I do think on page seven. Uh, that that scene you're talking about yeah. on on the very bottom left hand panel, there's one of them talking. So that right. says, "However, time is of the essence." Isn't that an odd f- panel? Because it it yep it it starts at this person's lips. It yep. looks like a can't tell. It looks if like it's a female. A female, right? So it starts at her top lip and then goes up. So it's yeah. like only showing the top part of her head and then the word balloon above that. It, it was just an odd shot. Exactly. It's like so. So they didn't have enough space to show her full ha- face. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking the same thing. I, I was thinking I I had I didn't I didn't scroll down enough and then pop them on the next uh, set of pages. So it's like oh no no they just cut her head off. Hmm. Yeah. It's like they had her whole head or maybe and then they couldn't. They had more words than they expected, so they just kind of pushed it down and it, exactly. Exactly. Use the crop feature. But like in last issue, there's a lot of phaser fights, and when the phasers are hitting people, it actually looks really cool. Yeah. Um, both in that first fight and in the later fight when they're actually um, transporting over. Right, because these people are really getting thrown around by the uh, beams of light, which I always find entertaining. But it's, it looks cooler. It's, it's energy. It's not just light. It'd be like getting hit with... <sighs> Electricity, like a lightning bolt. You'd you'd fall backwards. Oh, oh, my friend, you would. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and some of these uh, people are thrown back quite a bit. Anyways, I thought it was a cool visual. Yeah. Oh, the visuals are good. I I do like it. And then the the ending, you know, a- after they've done all these amazing things in this escape, then they start writhing in pain just to to prove the point that, oh, we better hurry. I thought that oh, was yeah. a little convenient. Well, again, it's manufactured peril just to keep you coming back next week. Right. So. And then they'll come back, you know, you, you come, or next month, come back to the next issue, and it's like, you know, they might not even mention, you know, this thing about, oh, you know, Alexander's doubled over, whatever, because of Troy being away from her body too long. Yeah. We need to punch it up here. What are we going to do? Exactly. Ideas. Ideas around the room. <laughs> uh, Deanna's body's separated, mind separate from the body. Okay. Yeah. Good. We'll use that. <laughs> well, we'll find out in the next issue, hopefully, uh, what, the, what the reason for that was. Right. Uh, manufactured peril. That's right. the reason. Okay. Uh, real quick, let's do the expanded universe for this time. So this was December, which had no new episodes, and then January and February of 1994, which which had a few Next Generation episodes, and uh, some of them were good, some of them uh, maybe not so good. Uh, this was the 
seventh season. All right, the first episode that came out this time was Pegasus, or The Pegasus, which is not that notable of a story itself, but its legacy is uh, is kind of reaching in that they chose that episode to be the framing story of the last Enterprise episode, which I always thought was was odd. So during this episode, at some point, Riker and Troy go to the holodeck and run this run the uh, the Enterprise episode program. Remember that or no? Um, not that much. You saw the last episode of Enterprise, right? Oh, oh, well, okay, hold on. As far as the last episode of of, of uh oh oh was that the last episode of Enterprise? I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I, I did not remember that. So that's the last one they did. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then they went back to this episode next gen. Or no, uh, this episode next gen went back to... Ah, I'm confused. Right, yeah. So supposedly during this episode, you're, you're supposed to believe that during this episode, Riker and, and Troy run to the holodeck and run the simulation that we all saw as the last episode of Enterprise. With, you know, Tucker dying and all that other stuff. And, you know, Riker looks maybe 20 pounds heavier. (laughs) (laughs) But we're supposed to believe that it's all happening during this episode of The Pegasus. So, like I said, this episode wasn't all that memorable, but it's had a a legacy. Right. Good point. This is what I thought it was. And then you started mentioning Enterprise, which was throwing me off a little bit. Yes. (laughs) Right. So this is the... This is a bit of Riker's past, right? The uh, the coming the, to haunt him. The Federation cloaking ship that somehow went through an asteroid and was still there, or something. I can't really remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So the next episode was called Homeworld. Worf's human foster brother violates the Prime Directive to save a doomed primitive race. I don't I, remember this one all that much. I, I know. Neither it's- do I. Neither do I. All right. And then let's just uh, move on, because <laughs> we're going a little long. So the next one is Sub Rosa, yeah. and this one is memorable because Troy not only falls for, but uh, has relations with her grandmother's boyfriend. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where you find out that the Howard women all have been hosts or um, concubines to this this particular alien that you know slowly lives off their life force or whatever. And then when her grandmother passed away, he then wants to uh, you know start feasting on Beverly. So uh-huh. at first she falls for him, and then realizes you know that uh, something's not right, which. You knew something's not right when you find out that you're dating your grandmother's lover. That's just weird. <laughs> it's just not right. I don't care that he still looks like a young dude. It's just wrong. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, I don't have anything else to say about that one. You? No. Except that Jonathan Frakes did the uh, directing? Hmm. Yeah. Cool. He's a good director. I hope that he uh, comes back and directs one of those Next Generation movies when they start. Joke. (laughs) Okay. You threw me off there, man. (laughs) Because the best Next Generation movie was directed by Jonathan Frakes. 
I agree. I, I, I really, I, I assume you're talking about uh, First Contact. Yes. yes. Fantastic movie. Yeah, that that's the best next gen movie. Maybe the best and, Star Trek movie ever. Maybe. Although I gotta tell you, uh, I really enjoyed Wrath of Khan. Yeah, that's a good too. Although I will, and, and what was good, those were both so good because I think a lot of people that weren't Star Trek fans came to see those movies. Oh yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, they were just good movies. Right. Exactly. So, um, despite all the uh, the first contact stuff going on. There was enough, uh, you know, Borg zombie kind of stuff going on that uh, it must have attracted people enough. And both of those movies had a very entertaining villain. You know, uh, Khan and the Borg mm. Queen. Right. They were just fun to watch being evil. So. <laughs> and I think, you know, if yes, you're making they a, were, weren't they? If you're making a movie, you need to have that where, you know, yeah. the worst Star Trek movies, you know, um, not saying that these are the worst, but Generations didn't have a big bad guy. You know, uh, what was his name? Doctor Soren. Yeah, he wasn't well, that entertaining to watch. And then yeah. um, the but an excellent actor. Oh, absolutely. And then on uh, Insurrection, the villain was you know people who just wanted to find the Fountain of Youth, and one of them was. Some bearded admiral guy that I mean, none of them really commanded all that much inter, you know interest while you're watching it, and I think that's what hurt those two movies. Yeah, I, and I think that was in the writing because the actor that did the uh, the main bad guy, um, you know, all shriveled up and stuff. Yeah, in insurrection, the main bad guy. I'm not talking about the general. Uh, I'm talking about the main bad guy, the actor, who I don't recall his name off the top of my head. But he was in an Amadeus. Uh, he's a really good actor. Normally. Uh, All right. Yeah. I, so I, it, I didn't recognize him, so uh, uh, I'll take your word for it. But an interesting actor and an interesting villain doesn't always make a great movie because I I really like Tom Hardy as uh, uh, Shizan. But yep. the movie itself <laughs> isn't the greatest. No, it isn't. Even though the Shizan scenes, I think, are really interesting, and I enjoy watching them. Yeah. I don't buy him as being Picard, but I enjoy no. him on on the screen. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's stay focused. Okay. Next. What's next? Lower decks. This is a good one. This is uh kind of told from four people who are like ensigns or whatever, and kind of yeah. how they see Picard and Riker and stuff. Uh, they do a similar one to this on Voyager, and that one's also a good one. Yeah. You know, how the common man sees everything. It's exactly. Good. And they had something just like this on Babylon 5. Oh, really? They, I need yeah, to watch those. The two guys were like maintenance workers or something. Like repair guys or something. Yeah, that's cool. I think that's yeah. what this one's like, and so yeah. is that Voyager one. Right. All right. Next one is Thine Own Self. This is where Troy is learning to be a commander. So she's having to wear her uniform, and she gets some pointers from Crusher, if I remember correctly. And then I think Data gets amnesia somehow. and Yeah, he really... loses his memory after retrieving radioactive fragments on the planet's surface and endangers the humanoid settlement he encounters. That was right off the cuff, I could tell. Exactly. I remember that so well. <laughs> Not. 
Uh, so anyway, so we won't talk about that one. Um, the next one up was masks. Was that one where people were being taken over? Their minds were being taken over by masks, um, like like, like, a, like a voodoo ritual type mask type thing. Uh, the Enterprise finds an ancient library that recreates its civilization by taking possession of data and transforming the ship. Huh. Wow. That. I don't remember it very well, but that that doesn't sound good. I don't know. Right. All right, and then and last... transforming the ship. Did oh. they actually change the ship into this alien place? Hmm. Oh, that sounds horrible. Okay, good. <laughs> and last up is Eye of the Beholder. Deanna investigates the suicide of a crewman, oh, this one, and uncovers a murder that took place during the construction of the Enterprise. Oh. <laughs> they find, like, a dead body in the in the wall or something, right? Yeah, something like that. And and I remember this I remember this episode and I thought, wow, they're actually taking on the topic of suicide. Right. And and, and come to find out it was like a, a ghost or something, right? Or some sort of negative energy from the murder. Yes, something like that. But yeah, as it was like an empath, like a beta Z or something and they were projecting whatever this this oh, right. incident is uh-huh. on whoever was near that wall or something right i think you're right yeah yeah it's although at the, be- at the beginning of it i found it was rather interesting because it was like talking about yeah i mean i think it was starting to talk about some very interesting things near the beginning which i thought was very brave of it but then it turns out in the end because everybody everybody in Star Trek, especially if you're in Starfleet, oh, you're motivated, and you're, oh, you know, everything's great, except for Broccoli, uh, Crewman Brock, Barkley. Uh, you know, everybody's pretty much, you know, you know, everybody's motivated and things wonderful. Nobody would think of, you know, committing suicide. Come on. Um, right. But in the beginning, as they were investigating it, I thought they were saying some interesting things. But then it just turns out in the end to be something influent. I mean... The suicides were happening because of an outside force. Right. Life is still life is still wonderful to be in Starfleet. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Uh, I think they they also did they explored that idea pretty well in Voyager. In the Voyager episode, that's similar to Lower Decks. They introduced the character played by oh, what's his name, the guy who played Chucky and uh, in the Child's Play movies and Warm Tongue in the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah. Uh, what is his name? Uh, oh yeah, I forgot his name. Dang it! It's not clicking for me, man. It's Brad something, maybe. Brad Dorf. That's his name. Oh, oh, he's good. Yeah, but he's in that episode of Voyager where it's just kind of them doing the the lower deck type people, and uh-huh. then ends up they bring him back later, and oh, he's he's a killer, and he's yeah. been killing all these people. And then, you know, I love just that, you know, he was just a random character in that episode, and then yes. he ends up being a pretty a, nasty A murderer. Dude. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. And then what do they do? They're on the other side of, you know, they're, they're totally away from the normal penal system, and they got a murderer on board ship. Mm-hmm. You know, so what do they do with this guy? And then in the end, he ends up being hero guy. Yeah, later few, on. A few episodes later, yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, I'm I'm agreeing with you. I like I like that they, you know, make it 
not everybody's hunky dory in the in the head in the future. Right. It just makes it a little bit more realistic. Know, yeah. I mean, humanity is a mixed bag, so. Right. All right. Well, that finishes up this episode. Uh, we will be back next week with episode 107, and we're going to do Deep Space Nine issues 10, 11, and 12. And then the following week, we'll do ongoing IDW 13 through 15. Cool. Exciting. Looking forward to it. Getting closer and closer to uh, Star Trek Countdown to Darkness. Ah, yes. That should be very interesting. Yes. To get our background before we see the movie. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. All right. So until next week, guys and gals, we'll talk to you later. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.